we're going to continue to process this ideal of exile, and I'd like to reframe it and perhaps give you some visuals to get a bigger understanding of it by showing a brief video from what's called the Bible Project. So would you please watch this video, which describes the whole idea of exile found throughout Scripture. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves, conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here? And is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story, how they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Um, they didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon, the same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, it wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created. And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. He welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way. 
that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. I hope you saw a quick overview of this exile theme found throughout Scripture, but I'm going to do a little bit, something a little different for a few moments this morning. And I want to try to give you a specific reason for exile. So if exile is a theme found throughout Scripture, and I think you just heard a summary, it is. I'm going to go to a why. And here's the why, very simply. The Lord loves the world. And he loves the world through people. So what the Lord does is if his people will not share his life and love, he will invite them he will send them into exile. And in a place of exile, we are invited to be like Jesus. So let me just put it real specifically. In COVID, you are asked to be like Jesus. In some crazy way, this last year has provided uh, living out of this idea that we're being marginalized. Everyone's feeling marginalized. So if we live on the margins, what's our response? Is it just to be angry and to complain and be, and be upset and, and, and join social media in this outrage about everything? Or, or is it say, Lord, help me to think differently and help me to see myself as one who is sent into COVID, into wherever, to bless now, I'm going to give you a couple sentences and tell you a story. And, and the reason, what I'm trying to do here now, I'm trying to make exile come alive. Because it just, I feel, I, people say to me, well, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. Folks, we, we've got to get our heads around this. We've got to choose to say, I want to understand what exile means, and I want to live it out in good and in Christ-honoring ways. So let me give you two sentences, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Here are the sentences. This, this, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to use, first I'll use it for me. And then I'm going to point it to you. Kevin, what you think about tomorrow matters. Because, Kevin, your vision of the future determines how you understand the present. Now let me say it but to you. What you think about tomorrow matters. Because your vision of your future determines how you understand today. You follow me? So let me just ask, how have you been living? How have you been thinking? 
Or are you looking this way? See, my theme this morning is living with a living hope. And I'm going to explain what hope means in just a moment. Here's my second sentence. In a real sense, today is defined by tomorrow. How we interpret our present situation, whatever it is, is defined by what we think lies ahead. So if my thinking is bad, uh, uh, mean, terrible, disaster, loss, falling apart, everything stinks, bad, bad, if that's my thinking, if that's my thinking for the future, how am I going to live now? And then flipping it. But what if I have an orientation that says, I believe when what the Bible says, who Jesus says, what he promises, if I live with that in my mind, then how do I live in the present? So listen now, how you think about the present affects how you live today. Let me give you a story, true story. Victor Frankl, a famous psychiatrist, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was put in a German concentration camp. Let me just read a couple paragraphs of a true story. Listen to the story. A really well-known, famous Jewish-German uh, musician confided in Dr. Frankel one day. He said, Doctor, I have a strange dream. A voice told me I could wish for something that I should only say what I, what I wanted to know and all my questions would be answered. Dr. Frankel, do you know what I asked? That the war would be over for me. And you know what, doctor? For me, I wanted to know when we, when our camp would be liberated and our sufferings would come to an end. And the doctor said, when did your dream voice answer? He said, shh, March 30th. March 30th. Well, when he told him about the dream, he was still full of hope. But as March 30th drew near, the war news, news reached our camp that we would not be freed on March 30th. On March 29, he suddenly became ill. On March 30th, he became delirious and lost consciousness. On March 31, he was dead. And the camp said he died of typhus. But those who know the connection, listen now, this is from Dr. Victor Franco. Those who know the connection between the state of your mind and the state of the immunity will understand that the sudden loss of hope can have a deadly effect. Any attempt to restore a person's inner strength first has to give him a goal worth looking to. Here's what I'm observing. So many people are living just like this. And Peter writes to a persecuted people. Can I have the map, please, Jim? Before I read the passage now, I'm going to show you the map. So you can't see it very well, but lower in the lower right-hand corner, there's Jerusalem. And I'm going to read in just a moment, in cha uh, chapter 1, verse 1, about up the, up the arrows, Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Pontus, Cappadocia, and a little farther is Pontus, way up the top. You know how far those are from Jerusalem? Minimum 535 miles. So let's put it in today's terms. An oppressor comes to Pella, and we are fleeing for our lives. And we grab whatever we can grab, any family members, any stuff, and we run. You know how far we run? We run to the border of Canada. 530, we are running to Canada. 
in that light, listen to what God says to his people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Could you look at the scriptures with me, please? I'm going to read it through and then come back to it. I'm going to just read it as is and come back and explain. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered out the, throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, or as far as Canada, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you have made the head suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke these things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels look, long to look into these things. People of God, these are the words of God. Now let me take you through this now. I'm explaining now. This, this, is, this is what I want to understand. This is what I'm poking at. This morning I want to talk about we have to choose to think about a living hope. If we, if we don't, if we don't, we will live right where we are and our present thinking will be so tainted by a negative future that we have no hope. And what he talks about three times in chapter 1, verse 3, 1, verse 13, and 121, I'll show you in a minute, he talks about a hope. So what's the hope? The hope is a forward expectancy. In fact, let me just give you the definition of the New Testament word for hope. Jim, can I have slide number... Uh, Number six, please. This is how the New Testament defines this word hope. E-L-I-P-I-S. This is how it is. The word hope is looking forward expectantly. You expect God to do something. It is a happy anticipation of good. It is eschatology, which means Christ's return. So what that all means is the hope that we have is looking to the future when Jesus comes back and makes everything right. Every relationship is right. The creation is right. 
Everything is healed and whole and full. Remember now? How you think about the future affects here. So I want you to connect. I'm going to tell you a secret. Secret. You're all going to die. We all know that, right? We're all going to die. And do you understand, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you understand what's coming? So what he's saying to people who are, who are fleeing, no, don't, don't clean the story up. They are running for their lives. They're grabbing whatever they can, and they're running to Canada. And they hear these crazy words about, you're chosen, you're elect, you're God. The word chosen, get this, I'll show you. The word chosen, get, this is just crazy, 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 crazy. The word chosen in the New Testament is the primary intimate term that God uses for the people he loves. So here's the story in 1 Peter chapter 1. You have been chosen to go in exile. You're going to run to Canada, and God loves you so much, he's got a future for you. What is he doing? He wants to take your faith, what you have to exercise, because you are in exile, you have to exercise your faith, make it real and strong and true, which is more valuable than any gold. So that when Jesus comes back, the fullness of what is available is going to be mind-boggling. What you think about the future affects how you live today. And this is so, let me be old. I'm, I'm an old, introverted contemplative. But what drives me crazy, and this is, I, I can just, I could cry, I could scream, I could swear, I could throw things. We are being absolutely manipulated. Our culture is, the world is by a small group of people who are controlling our electronics. And you are being manipulated in ways you do not even know. And the world is being brought into chaos and confusion. The whole world is. And we are asked in this crazy world to be different. We have to see we are in exile and we can be different if we live with a living hope. It's got to be alive. Remind you, another secret, Jesus is not dead. This is not a museum. I'm not the professor. We're not talking about a dead guy. Now, I'm going to tell you a crazy story. So I don't know how our Lord is present I don't understand the mysteries of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The older I get, the less I know. But I was in here at 4.30 this morning, and the whole building is black. And I was sitting right here where the Schultes are, and all of a sudden, in the entryways, the lights come on, and the lights go off. 20 minutes later or so, the lights go on, and the lights come off. I said, what does that mean, Lord? And what I think I heard was, as in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what's Jesus doing? He's walking around. He's walking around. I wonder if the Lord was walking around this morning, but not just here. Who knows? Everywhere? I don't know. I don't know. 
But you see, I believe Jesus is alive. And I believe, I have hope that he's coming back and he's going to make all things right. And what is evil and wrong and broken and horrible and sinful and yuck is going to be cleaned and transformed. And I believe it. And because I believe it, I'm not worried about COVID. I'm not worried about election. I'm not worried about blah, blah, blah. Can I just remind you one more time? We are part of an unbreakable, unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God is never in trouble, ever. So what he's saying to people is you got to think differently now. I know you're running to Canada. I know you're running to get away. You're trying to live. But you got to see yourself as exiles who are going for a purpose. Well, let's go back to the passage. Chapter 1. Let me walk you through it. Verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered through, up by Canada from us, who have been chosen, the intimate term of love, according to the foreknowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says, grace and peace. Grace is the source of our salvation, and peace is the content of our salvation. Because of Jesus, the scriptures say we are no longer enemies of God. We are God's friends. And we're not just friends. We are adopted children. You are part of God's family. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that, for these people who are fleeing Jerusalem, you know, what that, you know what that would do? They would just stop right there. Why? Because in any temple, in any synagogue, three times a day, they had what was called the 18 blessings. And someone in the context of the synagogue or temple, three times a day, would read 18 ways they blessed God. How does he start his letter off? Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father. So they're in exile. They're running for their lives. And all of a sudden, they're reminded, oh, 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 we have a place. We have a home, and it's with God. Well, the next verse, verse 4, what does he say next? He says, you have a, I'm sorry, verse 3, into his great mercy, he's given us new birth, and here's my phrase, into a living hope. Now hold your finger right there. Look over to verse 13, if you have your Bibles. It's, and it's, Jim, that slide, uh, let me just do it real quick. Slide 7, 8, and 9. So here's, here's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at the word, living hope. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into what? A living hope. Something is coming. He's giving us birth. How? Through the resurrection. Slide, next slide, 113. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. This is, this is where I get so caught up. And I, get a, I have a phone. I have emails. I do electronic stuff. I get it. I get it. I get it. We, have, we live in a world today. We need it. But look at the next phrase. With minds that are alert and fully sober. I find I have to limit how much I use my phone. Because when I don't, I get confused I get angry, and I lose my sobriety. I become a swearing sailor. And he says, now, in light of being in exile, make sure your minds, how you think, remember, how you think about the future affects how you live today. Put your minds, be alert, be alert, be alert, be alert. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's, be fully sober. Don't be drunk. Be, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Set your hope, future orientation on the grace to be revealed when? When Jesus Christ 
returns again. So we're looking to the future. Next slide, verse 21. Through Jesus, we believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your future expectations are in God. May I have a big umbrella of mercy? Your future is not dependent on who's the next president or the next five presidents or the next six governors or the next ten mayors or the next pastor or anything else. Your faith and your hope are in God. Is that true? So we better act like it. Right? I told you, I remember way back in the day, 1994. It's in my memory, the old church. I told a story something like this. I told it dramatically that day. I'm not going to do it dramatically. There was a young man who was AWOL with Caesar Augustus' army. And he was brought before Caesar Augustus as one who had run from battle. And he was brought before Caesar. I'm sorry, it was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. The kid's name was Alexander. And he brought him before, they brought him before Alexander. And Alexander said, what is this man's crime? They said he ran from battle. And Alexander got off from his, his, his big throne, came behind, got in front of that kid's face, and said, young man, what's your name? He said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great got in his face and said, change your name or change your behavior. You're a Christian. Change your name or change your behavior. Yes? So we need to be people who bless in exile. Barakah. So it starts back in Genesis chapter 12, right? The first covenant, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And consistently, God's people say no. So what does the Lord do? Because he loves, the, for God so loved Pelai, well, that he sent his only begotten son. For God so loved the, that he sent his son. And guess what? Who does his son send now? Exiles. And says, you are my representatives. So you know the story of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. Ten years later, they're singing, singing Kumbaya in Jerusalem. So what does God do? He brings persecution and what? And they got to run. And where do they run to? Canada, Pontus, Bithynia, Cappadocia, 535 miles. And what do they do? They talk about Jesus. Get this, get this, get this. You're here today because of that. You're going to heaven because 2,000 years ago, some people got exiled, and on the way, they said and did the things that Jesus said and does. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. We're asked to be like Jesus. Well, let's go back to the passage. Ooh, okay. Uh, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance, this is part of that living hope, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now look what he talks about suffering now in verse 6. In this, in this you greatly rejoice. What? You have an inheritance. Christ is returning. 
Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Why do trials come? Verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, when he returns. Go down to verse 10. The story goes on. Concerning this salvation, so if salvation is in verse 5, it's in verse 9, it's verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, the prophets, through the centuries, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. That's prophets. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you. Here is the preachers. But those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels long to look into these things. What is he saying? This story of exile and inheritance and hope has been spoken for centuries. And prophets have spoken about it, and preachers. And this is the wonderful, and the angels, the angels are like this. What is going to happen? The word, that phrase is to look with eager expectation. What's going on in that little planet? The angels don't, this is just, the angels are trying to figure out what in the world God is doing. What is God doing? He sends his son, he sends his son to us, and he sends us to love the world. So we can say exile, oh, I hate it. Oh, our country's going to hell and we're all doing terrible. Well, yeah, maybe. But you're not citizens of America, fun first. First, you're citizens. Listen, you're citizens of heaven first. When you die, you're going to go on the ground. They're going to throw dirt on you and eat potato salad afterwards. <laughs> but if you're part of the kingdom of heaven... You're going to be with Jesus. We're citizens of heaven, the kingdom of the heavens. So what is he saying to us? Well, let me give you a couple things here. How about, can I have um, um, five? Nice slide five, Jim. And then I'm going to ask you to talk with each other if you would. So Peter invites chosen, that's an intimate term, scattered exiles to flourish from a living hope. Let me, one more time. What you think about what's coming affects how you live today. So let me just be personal. If I did not have a future expectation, I'd be in the toilet and so would Lane all the time about Kirk's death. We would just be, we would, I would be a drunk and I'd be a porn addict. And I know what Lane would be. We would be in deep trouble if we did not believe that Jesus will come and make all things right. And there will be resurrection. And there will be new bodies. And there will be a new heaven and new earth. And there will be glorious things beyond our expectation. That goes on forever. And that's what we focus on. But if I focus on just how bad everything is, well, then how do I live? Suspiciously, negatively, hopelessly, crabby, judgmental, all that. Am I speaking the truth? So we are asked three times in chapter one 
have a living hope. So let me say it one more time, then we ask you to talk. How you think about the future affects how you live today. Now, can I ask you if you'd be willing, if you're, if you're comfortable, social distancing, slide 10. Could we just have a brief conversation? What others say who look at you, your life is marked by a living hope. Can people see in you, could you if you're willing to share, can people see you in you a hope that things will one day be right? Do you live that way with hope, with, with, with optimism? If not, what can change? And let me just give you one quick answer. I read a study, a three-year study of people in seminaries, and they've tried to gauge using mental imaging their mental capacities, they're willing to be positive and to be optimistic about the future. And they had multiple test groups, and the one that was successful and which showed so much promise was a group of people who every day for a couple minutes just reflected on one verse of Scripture. And in three years, they were measured medically, medical imaging, and personally with counselors to have levers, levels of hope and strength and contentment that were markedly different than everyone else. So, my question is, how are you living it with a living hope? And then the question is, if not, what could you do? So let's take about two minutes. If you're comfortable, have a conversation. If not, just pray. On your marks, get set, go. Anybody want to talk back real quick before we, do, we go into something of prayer? Anybody? Anybody have something? The Holy Spirit prompts. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you to say something, anybody? Yeah, Lane. Without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. If you don't have that living hope, you're, like Lyle just said, you're going to be looking all over the place to try to find it, and you're probably going to perish. And mm. I think we see people that we feel terrible, but they're perishing in a sense because mm -hmm. they're not. If you heard Lane, she said, without a vision, quoting scripture, without a vision, people perish. If we don't have a vision of what is, what is coming, the goodness of what is coming, if we don't know that, if we don't embrace that, then we're just going gonna to perish in our sadness and our brokenness with our addictions and whatever. So thank you. Somebody else? Anybody else? Yep. 
Beautiful. So make sure I heard you right. So without gratitude, a thankful heart, we start spinning. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. So we can be thankful because we know what's coming. Even, even though challenges are here, let, let, me, let me see if this is true for you. I did the last service with most of the people are my age or older. So I was in a meeting this week and people said to me, to me, you often look like you feel sad. And I said, I do. Because as a job, my, part of my job, people don't, generally people don't see me when they're happy. We, we, we're, we're in difficult, challenging times together. And, and I, I use a sentence. As we grow older, our losses accumulate. The older we get, the more losses we experience. And so I find myself in sadness and lamenting. I have to say, Lord, help me to have a future orientation. I have to think what's coming. Otherwise, the sadnesses which accumulate just become overpowering. And then again, in my brokenness, I'll move to some kind of addictive behavior because I'm just coping with pain. I don't know what to do with it. Good. One more person. Thank you. One more? Okay, I'd like to, so there's only a couple of us here where we can be. You feel risky this morning? <laughs> Go for it. All right, thank you. I, I just think it'd be good to just pray. If, if, you, if you need a measure of hope today, because you're just in deep water, and at this point, you, you, you just don't have it in you to have a future orientation. You're just, you're just so tired and so sad, and life is just heavy. I like you just to pray. I like to pray for you. And if people are sitting around, you can just hold their hand up or toward you. So if you, just, if you need some hope, would you be willing to stand? And we're just going to pray for you. If you want to have someone pray for you. Anybody? All right. All 300 of us, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we pray that we would be, um, our hearts could be soft, that somehow in your love you could sneak past the walls, um, walk over the boulders, uh, wade through the depths of the river of brokenness in our hearts. And you would replace despair and hopelessness with a living hope. And we pray that that hope would rise like a river at flood, that the water would keep rising and rising and rising. And we would be people marked by hope that your kingdom is good and strong. that what is coming is greater than our losses and our pain and that we can choose to exercise faith to trust in you. I pray for those whose faith seems extinguished because of the fires and we pray, Lord, that you would meet them uniquely and lovingly. Hold them close. Release your living hope among your people here in the chapel, in the auditorium, in homes, and through our region. We pray for a release of living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.